Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you receive a blessing from this program. Please join us in person this Sunday for Bible study at 930 or our worship service at 1035. We promise that you will receive a warm welcome. For more information or to watch our services live, please visit our website, gpindy.net. Let's join our service already in progress.
him peace, love, and joy come to make things right. Men walk in darkness, now there is a light from a cradle, a cradle that rocked the world. Fall out forever, forever rearranged by the cradle, cradle that rocked the world. Can't believe that a king would leave a beautiful place that we can't conceive. Place where the streets are gold and the gates are pearl. Well, that's what it did so long ago. It came as a babe so the world would know of the cradle, the cradle that rocked the world. Son of God, become son. Oh. 
sing the little chorus, uh, Oh, come, let us adore him. And then it goes into the next one, For he alone is worthy, and then uh, we'll give him all the glory. Sing with us. Let's stand up and lift him up this morning. Just lift it to him, Oh, come, let us adore him. Sing it now. Oh, come, let us
your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's dealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 and wasted years and tell the past to disappear oh let me tell you about my jesus and all the wrong turns that you would go and undo if you could who can work it all for your good oh let me tell you about my jesus he makes a way where there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and His grace is free. And the good news is, I know that He can do for you what He's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Price for all my guilty, who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh, He makes a way where there ain't no way, and He rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that He can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and His grace is free. And the good news is. I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good morning. <clears throat> so uh, I've already told security to lock the doors. Since, since I'm not pastor, um, I'll be watching everybody who uh, walks out, and I will not be afraid to call you out. But, uh, <laughs> but I do appreciate uh, this opportunity today. I've 
thought about how do you, how does one get to this point? I started thinking back that when, after Rachel and I got married, that we were in charge of sixth grade boys. And that should have been all I needed to get as far away from teaching as possible. But we started out with sixth grade boys, and that was an experience. And we were both pretty young at the time, and they tested us. They were interesting, to say the least. And I remember after our house burned down that uh, I got a call from Pastor in February of 2020, and he said, hey, we're kind of in a pickle here at the church. The person that was over the college and career ministry has left, and they've taken a job in a different state. So would you mind pinch hitting and speaking tomorrow? And I was like, uh, sure, I guess. And so I walk in, and there's a deacon in the back, and I'm like, am I just speaking or am I being evaluated here? And it was Lewis Hale, and he was sitting in the back, and uh, you know, I had come up through that college ministry, so it was a cool opportunity, so I spoke. I really have no idea if I did a good job or not, but uh, they said, well, can you speak on Wednesday? And I think that was the last conversation I had, and then for seven years, I just kept showing up. So um, I'm persistent, if anything else. And so that kind of started my career towards really the single adults, which was a large part of my passion for a number of years now. In May of 2015, pastor calls me and he says, hey, I know you're over the singles, but we're looking for a youth pastor, so until we find him, can you pinch hit and also do the youth? So I said, okay, sure, I'll do that. And uh, month after month passes by, and when there was no other hope, they said, well, why don't you do it? And so anyway, that was uh, how you got stuck with me in October of 2015. And I think back to all that, and I'm like, man, my experience here, probably 20 years experience, right, has always been with, you know, sixth grade boys, single adults, and with junior high and senior high. And so what on earth am I going to talk to these people about today? The youth. <laughs> I know a thing or two about that, right? I feel like a farmer's commercial, farmer's insurance commercial. But I have been working with the youth for a long time, and so that is what God has laid upon my heart. I wanted to share some things with you this morning, if you'll allow me to. So uh, hopefully you don't throw anything, or if you do, it's soft. But I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, and then we're going to open up in 1 Samuel this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and as a family, Lord, and to open your word. Lord, we don't take that for granted. Lord, we don't know what the future may hold, but there are places in the world where they can't do this today. So Lord, I pray right now that we wouldn't be a distraction to the person sitting next to us. We'd be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God. And Lord, they would bring about change in our lives. Lord, we love you and praise you. We thank you for sending Jesus on the cross to die for our sins, and he was buried and rose again three days later. And Lord, if we believe that from our heart, we will be in heaven for all eternity. And that is the bond that so many of us hold in this room here together today. And Lord, we thank you for that, and that we will be together in heaven with you one day. We just pray you be with this service, and we give it all to you. Amen. All right, so, and 1 Samuel is an interesting book, and you may say most of the books in the Bible are. Yeah, but not many start out like this one. I mean, we get right into this book, and what do we hear? A guy by the name of Elkanah has two wives. Now, I don't know about you, but you got my attention when it's like, hey, this dude has two wives. How's this going to work out, 
right? And then it goes on to say that there's issues between the two women. Really? Wow. I'm going to learn a thing or two through here. I don't even have to watch Sisters' Wives. I can tell you that when a man has two wives, usually bad things happen, and that was kind of the issue here. And so as this starts happening, to kind of unfold in our story, we get to verse 5. And it says, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now here's the thing you have to understand, especially during this time period. It was viewed as a curse to a woman to be barren, to not be able to have children. It was a blessing to be able to have children. Right? So women were embarrassed when they couldn't have children. And they felt like they were marked by society. Right? And so you have one wife, Peninnah, who could have children. And basically, the Bible says that Peninnah was Hannah's adversary and she would provoke her. I can only imagine what these conversations would be. Here she'd be walking around holding her baby and here Hannah feels bad over in the corner and yet here comes Elkanah saying, but honey, you know that I loved you. In fact, at one point he says, can you really not just love me? I should, you should love me more than you should love a multitude of kids. In which Hannah probably looks at him and says, you should love me to where you don't need another wife. You know, you can imagine some of these conversations, at least in my mind anyway, of how they probably played out. But what is being set up here is the fact that Hannah desperately wanted a child, but couldn't have one. We see that in verse 11, as she goes up to Shiloh, this is what scripture records. It says, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the infliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now what's interesting through this is that Eli the priest comes, and he's like, what is this woman doing? Is she drunk? Because the scripture teaches this, but then right after it says that this was what was being said in her heart, and her mouth was moving, but no words were coming out. And Eli's like, I don't know what's going on. But then Eli, from the Lord, says, the Lord has heard your petition. Which then leads us into verse 20. In verse 20 it says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, and she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. Now think about this. At this point, this woman has wanted a child so bad. It has been the longing of her heart. It's actually been the curse of her life to see the other wife be able to have children. And God has now blessed her with this child. And she made a promise to God what she was going to do with this child. Now, I know many of you in here could understand this, but when you have your first child, it's life-changing. Not that I physically have done it, but I've seen someone do it before, right? <laughs> but I've been in that room, and I remember when Cole was born, and Rachel and I, you know, we're, we've seen videos of things. We don't really know what to expect. And, you know, you're going through the pain of things and, and the breathing, and people are encouraging you, push, push. And what's getting ready to come out is, is this hope. You, you've wondered this movement inside you and everything. You've had these hopes and dreams for this life inside you. And you're wondering, what will become of this life? And he starts to come out. And 
And it terrified me because it was a weird color and there was some stray dark hair and I, it looked like Gollum. And I was like, push him back in. He's not ready yet. <laughs> and I'm looking at Rachel. I was like, what have we done? I'm thinking, man, this is probably a curse for the way I lived. I'm sorry, honey. But I'm like, I, hope, I hope ours comes out normal. But anyway, but then, but then he comes out and, and he cries and immediately color comes to the skin and, and we're both looking at each other and we're crying and and there's so much hope in that moment. You're like, this is the most important thing in my life at this moment. I mean, you just want to cherish, hold, protect. You dream of what this child is going to become. And I can only imagine what Hannah was experiencing at that moment. It made the birth pains worth it. It made the ridicule worth it to finally be holding this child. In verse 22, it says, But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. And then will I bring him, and he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. When you see this, you get the idea of a mother who is protecting a child. The mortality rate of children back at this period of time was very high. So the need for a woman to be able to wean the child and protect them from disease and make sure they get the proper nourishment was extremely high. She was going to do everything she could to make sure that this child would be taken care of as she presents him to the Lord. And now the weaning process in Hebrew culture was anywhere from two to four years, sometimes even up to five years. So I can imagine Rachel right now thinking, oh dear God, please don't let Chase do that. But, uh, but it was a process. You know, so by the time she gives him you know, to Eli, he's probably three or four years old. So 1 Samuel 1, 27 through 28 says this, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. You know, we see some things here. You know, right off the bat, one thing to understand is that Hebrew children, by the age of three and four, were being taught how to read the Torah. By five, they had already began memorizing portions of Scripture. See, here's one thing that we know, and we sometimes underestimate, right, is that there is extreme value of training up the youth from an early age. Sometimes we think, oh, I just hope one day that they grow up and serve the Lord. What about now? What about now? You know, and that is the thing. It wasn't like, hey, 18 years and I'm going to give him away to the Lord. It was three or four. After he was weaned, hey, I'm going to put him in a controlled environment where the word of God was going to be taught him. He is going to be mentored by Eli. He's going to be trained in the priesthood. He is not too young to get started. Because the Bible teaches us that they're never too young to start training them up. Josiah became king at age eight. David did wonderful things as a youth. Jesus said, suffer not the little children. As Paul is writing one of his last letters, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, let no man despise thy youth. There is value in the youth, and they're not too young to start pouring into them and teaching them. And that's what we see. I know as parents, we want them to one day grow up and serve the Lord but we will not be able to just flip a switch. We have to train them as early as we can. Now we're going to fast forward to a different person. 
His name was Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel has also got an interesting start because there's a new rising empire of the Gentiles who has showed up. And the Bible starts teaching us about a man called Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's what we know about this, is that previously the Assyrian Empire was the large empire. We know that they took out the ten northern tribes of Israel in 727. So here we got about 120 years later, and the book of Daniel is being written. Well, basically, Jerusalem is basically in Judah. So that's the southern kingdom. It had made allegiance with Egypt. So Babylon's now a big world empire. They go and they take out Egypt, and Nebuchadnezzar's this great war general, and on his way back up, he stops in and fakes the first siege, the first of three sieges on Jerusalem. As a result of this, they took some of the gold, not all of it at this point, and they took some of the children. So this is where we're going to pick this up. So at the time that this happens, Nebuchadnezzar goes from being a war general. His father dies while he's out conquering Egypt. And so now he's king, King Nebuchadnezzar. So in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, this is what is recorded. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, they were well-favored, they were skillful in all wisdom. They were cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. This is actually something that was prophesied. Back when Hezekiah was given 15 extra years, and what did he do with them? Well, he went and bragged about all of his riches to this weird group of Babylonians. And Isaiah's like, what have you done? And Isaiah says this in Isaiah 39, verses 6 and 7. He says, behold, Hezekiah, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried away to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which shall thou beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Daniel and other children, the, the, basically the choice of the children, you know, the ones who had grown up and who had great potential, right? The ones who were the most well-favored. Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, let's take them. Let's bring him to Babylon. Now, how old was Daniel? Probably 12 to 14 years old. What we learned about Samuel is it was very common for them to start reading the Torah at ages 3 and 4. So Daniel was pretty grounded. If he had about 10 years of studying the Word of God already under his belt at a young age. This was interesting. But this last part of Daniel 1.4 really shows where we're going today. It says, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Earlier I said that Christians should know that there is extreme value of training up the youth from an early age. But you know what? Satan and this evil world system also believes that there is extreme value of training up the youth from an early age. That is kind of the crux, isn't it? It's interesting, they took the young men of promise, not the established Pharisees, not the men of wisdom, not the men who were already serving in Jerusalem. They took the young children. 
That's interesting. And boy, did they have a plan. This foreign nation, they had a plan. The first thing was to strip these young Hebrew boys of their identity. Now, follow with me because you're going to see a lot of parallels to today's world. Daniel's name means God is judge. The Babylonians gave Daniel a new name, Belteshazzar. And you know what that name means? Baal's prince. How about the three boys? We like to sing the songs, right? We like to tell the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and I would try to encourage us from here on out to not use those names. Those are their Babylonian names, and every one of them relates to a Babylonian deity. Their Hebrew names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they all have to do with the Lord. They knew what they were doing. Stripped them of their identity. They also removed them away from godly influence. They took them away from those who were training them up and put them in a compromising situation, took them to the palace as far away from Jerusalem as possible. The next verse talks about how Nebuchadnezzar had a plan. It was to do this for three years. So they indoctrinate these kids for three years full of Chaldean and Babylonian culture and language. They groomed them by giving them the king's food and these palace opportunities. If you stick with this, you'll be made a ruler. And here is a real key too. They most likely sterilized them by making them eunuchs. We can get upset about today's society, but is the game plan new? They're stripping our kids' identities. They're sterilizing our kids. They're indoctrinating our kids over years, and we're losing. And it's not new. Social media. Don't even get me started. I mean, the most popular app is TikTok. It's the sound a clock makes as time is passing. And over and over again, we give months and years of our lives to this app and waste time. We learn dances as children. They learn dances for months, perfecting them so they can get a lot of likes. They're being trained up in a narcissistic society to trust the government and to vacate God. They're being taught the way of the Chaldeans. They're being fed the meat of the kings. And we've let it happen. And I look at this and I'm like, man, here Daniel was a teenager and he made it through. I mean, his training would have began around age three or four, most likely. He would have been very grounded spiritually. I mean, grounded enough to know that, hey, this meat, I can't let myself be defiled. Grounded enough to know that, hey, I'm going to pray multiple times during the day and even point towards Jerusalem to never take his eyes off of his background. I would say that those spiritual leaders around him did a very good job. And it helped him to be able to stand during a rough time. But what do your children or what do the youth see about us as grandparents, as parents, 
uh, or as mentors? What do, what do they see about us? I mean, based on how we live, what would our children believe about marriage? What would the youth believe about how to use their time wisely by watching us? What would they learn about serving by watching us? What would they learn about forgiveness by watching us? What would they learn about humility by watching us? What would they learn about the importance of sharing the gospel by watching us? You know, I think it's pretty awesome. Paul has something to say about why the youth are so vulnerable, if you will. Uh, but he also tells us that, that if, we, if we can get a hold of this, that there can be a path out of this. Ephesians 4.14 says this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, here he gives characteristics of why children are vulnerable, why children are the target of the enemy. Because children can be wishy-washy. They can be tossed to and fro. They can be carried about by every wind of doctrine. They can be deceived, more deceived even than adults in some ways. We see this, and this is the nature of children. This means this immense potential of the youth is extremely vulnerable. Satan knows this. And what Satan can't kill in the womb, he will try to convert. And let that sink in. There is a spiritual battle over the youth. It's the way it is. But here's where it gets real. Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him all things, which is the head, even Christ. I want you to listen to something here for a second. Ephesians 4.14 says, Let us be no more children. Ephesians 4.15 says, Grow up. If there was a title for this lesson, it would be that. Now let me really blow your mind. The book of Ephesians wasn't written to children. The majority of the people reading the book of Ephesians, adults. Telling adults, let us be no more children, but grow up. Let that sink in for a second. See, if the parents don't grow up, then how are we ever going to train the children to grow up? Because spiritually, a lot of our adults need to grow up in their children. And that's why we're losing the battle at home. We have to do something about that. And let me just tell you this right now, because I've counseled many, because I've been around a bunch, nothing provokes kids to anger more than parents who are hypocrites. Well, Mom, Dad, you're telling me to do this. Why don't you do this? Well, because I'm an adult. That's unacceptable. What are you telling them when you do that? But why can't I have friends like that? You have friends that go and get drunk. Well, I'm an adult. What are you telling them? 
Why can't I look at that? You look at that, Dad. Because I'm an adult. What are we training them? If they can't see it in us, then what they will see is what the world has to offer, and the world is lining up to show them, to teach them, to indoctrinate them, to train them. And we are asleep at the wheel. What are we going to do is the real question. What are we going to do about where we're at? Obviously, grow up. <laughs> that being a first start, right? But Daniel did some things. Daniel surrounded himself with godly people. Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel prayed all the time. These are things we can teach our youth to do. You know, it is so important as we move through this to understand that the biggest teaching our children will ever receive is from watching us. And when we fail, we're not just failing us, we're failing them. I know we're not perfect, but we have to know that we are influencing them. Paul even says this, that hey, this is what youth should look like. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, let no man despise thy youth, but here's what youth should look like. Be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. But let me tell you something else when it comes to age. Behavior will always trump age. I remember when I met Rachel and... Uh, you know, she kind of blossomed at this point. I knew her as a kid who would wear umbro shorts as a 13-year-old, uh, pretty much. But eventually, you know, she grew up, but she was different than any other girl I'd ever been around. And it was her behavior. I mean, it was crazy because she said, hey, if there's a party, I'm not going to that party. I'm not sleeping around. Nope, I'm not having sex until I'm married. And I sing. I sing for the Lord, not for the world. She was years ahead of her physical age because of her spiritual maturity. Now, she was immature in some ways, right? But spiritually, she was very mature. She was older, right? Her behavior surpassed her age. And we see that with Daniel making decisions that some of us at age 40 and age 50 don't make. Well, it didn't matter that Daniel was 12 or 14. He purposed in his heart. He was trained, and he went out, and he did it, and he earned the respect. And it's because of that today, I honestly believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I believe from what we see through Scripture that he got converted because of Daniel. That's the kind of impact that our youth can have if it's done the right way. It's not too late, but we have got to wake up. Romans 13, 11, and 12 says this, And that knowing the time, that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast out, or cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. 
it won't happen overnight. I mean, even Nebuchadnezzar knew that it was going to take three years to indoctrinate. But maybe today, it's not about feeling guilty or feeling depressed about maybe where you've messed up along the way. Let's be honest, even if you do everything the exact way that you should, at one point, the child is going to make their own decisions once they're out of the house. But you want to give them every fighting chance that you can to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So maybe today it's just about taking that first step. And it, it could be this. It could be, all right, in front of my children, admitting when I am wrong and show them from Scripture so that we can teach them by our example and through the Word of God. Maybe it's those times when we've been hurt by others. Instead of talking bad about people and our kids hearing it, that we refuse to talk bad about other people behind their back. How would that influence our children today? Maybe we can be faithful in our marriage. How would that impact our children today? Maybe we can be faithful in the Word with them. Maybe there's a reading schedule that you all have together. Maybe you can pray together, even if it's one day a week. Maybe you can role play with them how to share the gospel with their friends at school. When is the last time that we've done that? We spend a lot of time together watching movies and streaming different things. Well, could we have a conversation afterwards about a biblical worldview and where that movie missed the mark or maybe where it illuminated a place that Scripture teaches this is the way we should behave? One of the things we did as a family about a year ago, and we're not perfect, <laughs> far from it, um, I knew I was losing control. My kids were getting older, and we were constantly coming and going, Sometimes felt like they should be paying me rent and that I was their landlord uh, who provided food and lodging and gas. Anyway, but one of the things I realized is I have got to put the brakes on. I have got to stop this. And so on Sunday nights, it's, we're very consistent in this. It's non-negotiable. I said, you will not make plans on Sunday nights. That is family night. And we've spent... We've used that time to do devotions. We've used that time to do the family calendar. We've used that time to pray together, watch a movie together, and just overall connect. I know you're not going to be able to fix everything tonight. Maybe there's been a lot that you wish you could have done differently. But you can take a step. And even as you're a grandparent here today, you can still be involved with the youth. Right? Even the people in this church know the importance you can have in our youth group. Do you ever take the time to ask them how their week went? Do you ever offer to take them out for lunch? You've been through so much in life, and the Bible teaches the old, talks about the older needing to teach the younger. Are you passing on any of that knowledge? Maybe you don't have grandkids of your own. Maybe you don't have kids of your own. There are people in this church that you can pour into. The bottom line as we wrap this up is that there's extreme value, I want to reiterate this, there's extreme value in training up from an early age, but the enemy knows this also. And he is, he is pulling out no stops to be able to indoctrinate and to control our youth from a very early age. Are we going to wake up and do something about it? Or are we going to lose a whole generation? Because we know from Scripture it only takes one generation to lose everything. We saw it with Israel over and over and over again. So my challenge today is simple. It's first and foremost, regardless how old you are in this church or what you've been through, have you grown up spiritually? Or are you still 
a child. Because we can never take someone else someplace we've never been. And for the youth today, it's the same words for you. It's time to grow up. You're not too young to serve God. You're not too young to be in the word every day. You're not too young to share the gospel at school. You're not too young to be used of God in a mighty way. Let that day start today. Hopefully you guys were encouraged with this. I know it takes investment, but there is no better investment. The enemy knows that. And if you don't invest, he will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, and I thank you that even when we've failed, that your grace is bigger than that, and it's never too late. Lord, I pray that you would work on hearts today, Lord, so that we don't lose a whole generation. Even if we can only control what is heard within these four walls today, that still represents a population of the youth that the enemy is after. And we know his game plan. What he can't kill in the womb, he does everything he can to convert. And I pray that there be a group of people in here today that draw the line and says, no more. We will fight for the youth because there is immense value in them. Lord, we would encourage one another, even if we're in a position where we don't have any young people around us today. If you're a member of this church, you do. There's a children's department, a junior high. There is a, even a single adults in a high school department. They don't have youth of their own to invest in. There are youth here. So I pray that there would be a sense of unity. We'd come together. We'd rally around one another. We'd rally around the youth and that we would change this culture, change this community, and that we'd make an impact for you. We would not allow the enemy to keep claiming and picking our children off one by one. It stops now. It stops today. Lord, may we not teach them or let them learn the way of the Chaldeans in the meat of the palace, but instead to trust in you and that your word will never become void, to teach them to get in the word and be guided by that word. Lord, we love you and praise you, and we pray if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day that they would believe in their heart that they're a sinner, that their sin has separated them from you, and that they know that you love them so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sins and that he was buried and three days later rose again. And that alone is sufficient to wash away every sin and give us eternal life and a right relationship with you. So I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, who has not done that, that today would be the day and that they would believe that from their heart. Lord, we love you and praise you. We pray you just be with us. Help us have an awesome week. And we give you all the honor and praise. Amen. We hope you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.